Amen. Awesome. So you guys remember we're in, uh, in Acts chapter 17. And that's where we left off. And we left off uh, there on verse 15 is where we stopped last time. And so up until this point there in the book of Acts, we've seen uh, Paul began to minister and teach. We saw that, that, that Paul began to minister and teach in a city called uh, Thessalonica, which you know, if, you guys, if you guys are familiar with the books of the Bible, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's the, the church to, to where he wrote the letters of First and Second Thessalonians. So we see that Paul began to minister and teach there in Thessalonica. But because trouble rose with the Jews who rejected Paul's teaching there at Thessalonica, Paul and Silas were sent to Berea by night. So they, they, they had to send, send, send Paul and Timothy uh, away by, by night because their life was at danger, in danger. These Orthodox Jews, you know, they didn't like what he was teaching. They didn't like what he was saying concerning Jesus, the resurrection, concerning Jesus being the Messiah. And so they threatened their lives. And so the brothers saw it fit to send these guys away by night in order to, to save their lives. And, but we see that many who were at Berea searched the scriptures to see whether what Paul said was true. And they believed. So, so, so while Paul was ministering there at Berea, even though opposition came, even though, you know, Jews tried to, tried to take his life, there, we see that there was a lot of fruit there at Berea. And the Bible tells us about the Bereans that, that, that they were very diligent in their, in their search. And whenever Paul would say something, they would go to the scriptures. They would look it up for themselves. They would see if this is true. And this caused them to, to, uh, this, this caused them to, to, to believe in his message because they saw that what Paul was saying was true. And so we see that the Jews who rejected Paul's teaching at Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching in Berea. And they came there also and stirred the people up against him. You know? So he had these Jews who were just kind of trolling him everywhere, everywhere he went. He was at Thessalonica preaching Jesus, man, they got him there. He went to Berea to preach Jesus, man, they followed him, uh, they followed him there. So we see that, that they were just uh, hesitant on, 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 on Paul. You know, they wanted to, to keep him from preaching this message of Jesus being the Messiah. So we see that Paul was sent away again, you know, but this time to Athens because of, of, of the persecution, because of the opposition of the Jews. He was sent away again, but this time to the city of Athens. And, and he was sent away alone. We read there in the, in the previous verses and. In uh, 10 through 15 of chapter 17, that, 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 that Paul actually sent for, for Silas and Timothy. So Paul was sent away by himself, but, it, but he requested that they would bring to them Silas and Timothy, his traveling companions, you know, his partners in crime, his brothers in the ministry, you know, his, his, his left and his right hand. That was, that was Silas and Timothy. And so we pick it up here now with Paul landing in the city of Athens. And we're going to see what, what awaits Paul there as he lands in the city of Athens. So I'll pick it up there in verse 16. Of chapter 17 and it says this it says now while Paul waited for them at Athens his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said what does this babbler want to say Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine of, is of which you speak for you are bringing some strange thing to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what all these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were, who were there spent their time in nothing else but to, but to tell or to hear something new. So we'll stop right there. And so we pick it up here again, verse 16, with, with, with Paul landing in the city of Athens. This is, this is the ancient city of Athens. A little background about the city of Athens. You know, it was considered one of the oldest cities in the ancient world. Uh, by this time, which is around 50 through 52 AD, by this time, Athens was just a small city of about 20,000 people. 
you know, it was once a great city, but, but, but at this point when, when Paul is there in this time, it's a city about, of about 20,000 people. And to kind of, you know, bring that, bring that into our context, it's about, it would have been about the size of, uh, of Yucca Valley, or it would have been about the size of South El Monte or, 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 or Duarte. You know, so it's a small city, you know, you could easily drive around the city in, 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 in a few minutes. So it, it, again, it's about the size of 20,000 people. Um, Athens, it, Athens, when it was in its prime, when the city was in its prime, it was a birth. Uh, it was a birthplace of great minds such as Plato, Socrates. You know, it, it gave birth to, to a lot of great philosophers. You know, and it was the meeting place of a lot of great philosophers. And so we see that that that, that even though those times had passed, you know, it still drew philosophers and thinkers from all of it, from all around. You know, if you notice that last verse that we read there, in verse twenty-one, it says, "For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were in, who were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell." Or to hear some new things. So it was like the meeting place of the, of the greatest minds, you could say. You know, it was like the meeting place of everyone, you know, with new ideas, new doctrines, new philosophies. You had all these thinkers coming around, you know, and meeting at Athens. It was like the meeting place. You know, you want to hear some new doctrine. You want to hear, you know, what's, what's the latest belief. You want to hear what's the latest teaching amongst all the philosophers. You go to Athens. You know, it would have been like the social media of the day. You go there to hear the, hear the news, hear, hear, the, hear the, 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 the latest schools of thoughts. And so it was also known... The city of Athens was also known for its worship of many gods, you know, false gods. So are, are they like accusing of like you're, you're playing on a vulnerable kind of? Is that what they're there for? So what they're, what they're going to accuse them of is, is you know, just bringing in a, a new teaching. You know, so these guys are there, hundreds of guys are there, you know, bringing all these new philosophies, new teachings. And they're accusing Paul of bringing in a strange teaching. Not so much uh, preying on the vulnerable, but just, uh, but just bringing in a different teaching. And notice that, 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 that they said it was different because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So interesting that even though you had all these hundreds of, you know, so-called great minds, great thinkers, you know, they're preaching all these things, all these false things, you know, but yet they had never heard about Jesus and the resurrection. And, and, and amongst their schools of thoughts, you know, they, they had no concept of this resurrection from the dead. And so Athens, again, was known for not only just its, its attraction uh, of philosophers and, and, and thinkers, free thinkers, great thinkers, but it was also known for its worship of many false gods. You know, it, it had been said of the city of Athens that there were more gods than there were people. So you could just imagine the, 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 the amount of, 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 of statues, the amount of idolatry, the amount of, you know, of altars that were erected to these false gods. And so we see that Paul waited for Timothy and Silas to get to Athens before he stepped out and did any ministry there. You know, but, but something provoked them, you know, to begin without them. It says there again in verse 16 that now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. And so the, the text seems to indicate that, that Paul wanted to wait for, for Silas and Timothy. You know, we, we see that the Lord gave us commands. He gave us his, uh, his apostles commands when he sent them out. He said, hey, go two by two. You know, so it's wise for them to have gone in groups. And we see that, that, that Paul wanted to wait for Silas and Timothy. And so as, as, he, as he got there in Athens, he, he, he sent for them. He's like, all right, go bring Silas and Timothy now. He told his, the guy who was driving the boat. But while he was there waiting for these guys, something, something happened in his heart. You know, something stirred him up to just go ahead and jump into the ministry without uh, Silas and Timothy. And so we're told there, there in verse 16, that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city uh, given over to idolatry. You know, that could also be translated uh, drowned in idolatry. Now, the, the idea is, you know, that, that, that Paul saw that the people in Athens were lost in their idolatry, you know, that they were in bondage to their super, superstitions. And it sparked, it sparked something in him, you know, it sparked in him this, this righteous anger, we would call it. 
you know, it, it sparked in him this, this, this righteous anger to want to do something about it. He just couldn't take it anymore. You know, he, he landed at Athens, he's looking around, sees all the people, you know, sees all these, you know, so-called great thinkers. But in the midst of all that, he sees these thousands of, 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 of false gods. I and mean, he sees these thousands of little, of little idols, of little altars erected to these false gods. And he was just moved with compassion. You know, he was just moved. He was grieved within him. He's like, man, I can't wait any longer. I have to do something about this. I have to tell them. I have to tell them something. And so, and we see that, that, that it should hurt us as well, man. I mean, when we see our family and, and loved ones or just people in general you know, being, being deceived by false gods, you know, by false ideas, by false hopes. And that's what was going on in Athens, you know, is that they, they were the, the, the self-proclaimed, you know, uh, smartest city, the self-proclaimed greatest city, the self-proclaimed, you know, most advanced city because they were bringing all these new teachings and they, they thought themselves, you know, to, to, to be, you know, like at, like at the latest schools of thought, but yet they didn't realize that, that they were just drowned in false hopes, drowned in, in idolatry, drowned in, in, these, in these false, you know, aspirations, these false beliefs. And so it sparked something in, in the Apostle Paul. I'm reminded of, 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 of a similar story with, with, our, with our Lord Jesus there in Matthew 9.36. Matthew 9.36 says that, that Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. You know, and we see that, that, that this is the, the heart of our Lord, you know, that he saw the multitudes, thousands of people. And, and instead of him saying, oh, I'm too tired, man, I can't go speak to him today. You know, I've been, I've been running on days, you know, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten in, 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 in days, you know, I'm tired. But we've been walking around all Judea, you know. Instead of the Lord saying that, no, it says that he saw the multitudes, and, you know, and, and, and he saw them with the, with the heart of compassion, you know, because he described them as, as being like sheep. You know, who were weary, who were scattered as sheep without a shepherd. And so this is, we see that this is the, the same heart that Paul had, you know, this, the same Paul that, the, the same heart that, that Paul had adopted, you know. And it's nothing else but just a shepherd's heart. You know, and really that's the, that, that, that's a heart that the Lord is trying to cultivate in us as well. You know, as we see the destruction around the world, as we see people just going, you know, far left and just far lost, really, you know, in their own ideas and their own philosophies and their own ideologies. I mean, yeah, right, it sparks in us this, this, this righteous anger, but more than anything, I mean, it sparks in us compassion because they're so lost, you know, and they're so blind and they can't see it, right? I mean, I'm looking at all these videos that are coming up on Instagram and uh, of, you know, some, some, some of the kids are being taught in school, some of the teachers who are out there promoting this stuff, and, and it brings in me this, this, this righteous anger, yeah, but also, you know, the, this heart of compassion because I see, like, man, that person is so lost. You know, that person is so lost that they've just been given over to their own ideas, you know, and they think that this is what's making them happy, and they think that this is the solution to all these things, and they're promoting it, you know, they're a voice for it, but, but really, they're just so lost, man. And in my heart, I see them, and I hear them, and I think, man, if only they would just come to know, you know, the, just the freedom that comes in Christ, you know, the freedom that comes with just knowing Christ. You know, and so again, this is the, the, the heart that the Apostle Paul had as he just saw the city given over to idolatry, Bible, uh, sheep, is there like a, a, a bigger meaning to sheep? Yeah, so the, the Bible uses uh, the, the, the term sheep to, to describe us as Christians, you know, but in the context of, you know, of Jesus being the great shepherd. Now, when it comes to, to sheep, you know, so Jesus describes us, you know, his, the, the believers, his followers as, as his sheep. Why? Because he calls himself the, the, the great shepherd of the sheep. You know, and, and just like the great shepherd of the sheep, you know, just like any any shepherd, if you're familiar with the, with 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 the way a, a, a shepherd cares for for his flock, you know, he is pretty much like at their at their every need, at their every desire. You know, it's like he has to take care of them. He has to, you know, he's, he has he has to make sure that he, that he trims their, their that he, he trims their hair or else 
if, if, they, if they get, it gets too big, you know, it'll get too heavy, the sheep is going to die because if it's too heavy, the sheep will just lay down there and he won't be able to fend for himself. You know, the shepherd has to literally lead them to the water. I mean, there could be a river right there, 20 feet in front of them, but unless the shepherd takes them to the water, they will not drink. They, and there could be a cliff, you know, and, 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 and if one sheep goes over the cliff, the rest will just follow them, you know, seeing it. And so the shepherd will have to take this, this great care for the sheep. And so Jesus described us as, as, as his sheep because of the care that he has for us. You know, and, and the Bible, its intention in calling us, you know, God's sheep is, is, is to tell us that, hey, man, that God has that great care for us, you know, and that, and that he's going to lead us to those still waters, that he's going to keep us from danger, you know, that he's going to take care of our lives. And so when Jesus saw the, the multitudes, you know, he saw them like sheep having no shepherd, meaning, man, he saw them just lost. They were uncared for, you know, they were, they were hungry, they were weary, you know, they were take, being taken advantage of. And so he saw himself, he saw him as, 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 as a shepherd of the great sheep. And so Paul, again, he's, he's looking at these people now with that same heart, you know, with those, with those same eyes, you know, uh, this, that, the heart of compassion. And it says that therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with them. Now, this, this that Paul felt, you know, caused him to take action. He didn't just say, oh, man, this, this, this is so sad. This stinks, man. They're so lost. Oh, well. <laughs> No, you know, but, but, but this, this, this thing that he felt in his heart, it caused him to, 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 to be moved, you know, with action. And so he took action, and his action was that he went into the synagogue and, and began to reason with them. You know, so he went, he went in and he reasoned with the people, meaning he, he dialogued with them. You know, he's trying to bring them into, in, into the truth, into the knowledge of the truth. You know, so he went in there, he started dialoguing with them. And now, it says that he did this in two places. In the synagogues, which is the meeting place of the religious Jews, and, and in the marketplace, which is also known as, as, as like the town square of Athens, you know, and, and the, the marketplaces where everyone would meet up, you know, to hear these new philosophies, these, these new ideas. And so we see that, that, that Paul reached, his desire was to reach the, the Jews, you know, the Orthodox Jews there in the synagogues, but also just the common people, man, everyone who believes any other thing. And so he went to the marketplace, these two places. Now, it, we're told there that, 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 that as he went there, so there in verse 18, that certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Now, these Epicurean and the, we're, we're told about these Epicurean and these Stoic philosophers. So, at this particular time, you know, there were two main schools of philosophy that, that pretty much dominated Athens. And which were these two, the, the, the Epicureans and, and, and the Stoic schools of philosophy. Now, the Epicureans, they followed the teaching of, of Epicurus, you know, who, who lived uh, between 341 and 270 B.C., you know, and, and he taught that the supreme good in life is to extract as much pleasure from life as possible. It was a, a, this, this, amen, live for whatever makes you feel good. You know, so he, again, he, he taught that, that the supreme good in life is to extract as much pleasure from life as possible. He did not deny the existence of God, but he believed that they had nothing to do with man. So he was, in a sense, agnostic. You know, he believed that there was a, some form, some form of, of deity, some form of God, or God's plural. But, but he believed that, that, that they were so far away from humanity that, that, that humanity could not relate in any way to the gods. You know, so he, and this was his, 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 form of, his, his way of thinking. Now, the, Stoic, the, Stoics, the Stoics began as a, as a Greek school of philosophy by, by a guy named Zeno, a philosopher named Zeno. Now, the name derived from, from the Greek word stoa, which means porch. You know, and, and, and at Athens, though, it's, it's where Zeno would, would lecture his students. It's where Zeno would, would lecture the, the people who would come and, and hear from. And so, again, the Stoics came from this word stoa, which means porch. 
You know, and it was a form of, of, of what we know as, as pantheism, you know, which believes that God is not a personal being, but a spiritual force, you know, or, or this soul power that, that lives in men and in things. It's a type of, um, I would call it kind of like the type of Mother Earth type of mentality. It's, it, 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 in our terms, it would be like, man, like God, is, God is in this desk because it's made out of wood and wood comes from the trees and, and, and God is in nature, you know, and, and God created the trees. So therefore, God's spirit is living in this, in this desk because it's made out of wood. You know, it's like saying, amen, amen, God, God is, God is in this, the spirit of God is in, is in this coffee ground, in this coffee cup. You know, I can see God in this because it came from coffee beans, which came from the earth, which God created. That type of, of thinking, that that, 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 that that type of ideology. And so the Stoics were, were more pantheists, you know, where they saw God in everything, but not in a personal way. And so again, these are these were the, the two main schools of thoughts uh, at, at the time right now where, where Paul's in Athens. And so we see that again that Paul's met with these with these uh, with the Stoic philosophers and all and also and also with the Epicureans. And so w- when they heard Paul teaching, you know, they invited him up to to the Areopagus, as we're told, which is above the marketplace. So they had the marketplace where all the people met, and then above the marketplace was the Areopagus, you know, which was like pretty much like the pulpit. You know, it's also known it's also known as a Mars Hill. And so it was where all the philosophers met and people gathered to hear the latest teachings. You know, this would have been like the, perp, the pulpit of, of the marketplace. Now, the Greeks prided themselves in learning new things. You know, and so when Paul came preaching Jesus and the resurrection, it sparked this curiosity. You know, here they are, these guys, these great minds. They're just all the man. That's all they do. They, they live, eat, move, breathe, eat new teachings. And all of a sudden, Paul comes and he's teaching Jesus in the resurrection. They've never heard anything like it. So they invite him to, to, uh, up into the, mar- in, into the Areopagus so he, so he can begin teaching his, his philosophy for you or his, his way of thinking. So it sparked this curiosity in them. And it says this in verse 22. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one who you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times or their predetermined times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each, each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we are not to think that the divine nature is like the gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Speaking about Christ, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. We'll stop right there. I know it's a lot to take in. Man, one thing I can say about Paul is, man, this guy was eloquent. You know, he himself described himself, you know, as a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, concerning the law, he was blameless in his own eyes. He was definitely in a brain. 
You know, and I love Paul because he could meet people in, in, in all aspects of life. You know, he could go down to, 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 to Corinth, as we're going to see later on, and meet people who were just as far away from religion as possible, you know, as deep in sin as you could get. And he could talk to them at their level. He could go to, to Athens and speak to the greatest minds of the time, the greatest philosophers of the time, and meet them at their level and, and, and pretty much dissect their, their own teachings and beliefs and be able to present a message, you know, a gospel message to them, which, which addresses their, their concerns. Like, man, Paul was definitely gifted with, 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 the, with the gift of evangelism. And, and, and just we're going to kind of just dissect his, his little address here, you know. And, and what he's doing is just, he's evangelizing. You know, so Paul, he gets on the scene there. You know, he's there in Areopagus. He, he has a mic, so to say, you know, so to, see, so to say. He has a mic, you know, they had a mic. You know, he had the pulpit, he had the stage. You know, it was all his. And he says... It says that they stood in the midst of the Areopagus. He said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. So I'm going to focus on this, to the unknown God. Now, among these thousands of altars, among these thousands of altars there in Athens, you know, there was one made out to you know, the unknown God. Since, since, since they, they deified everything, meaning they made a God out of everything, you know, it's like they had a God... For everything and for every circumstance, for every situation, and then and then they're like, all right, just in case we missed any any God, we we're gonna make one to the unknown God, so that just in case we missed it, you know, he doesn't hold it against us. And so Paul, he sees that, you know, and, and he's using what we know as, as as relational apologetics. You know, he's using just the things that he sees around him to kind of you know spark up a conversation. And so he he takes this this altar to the unknown God. You know, and he uses that to kind of as a as a as a platform for his for for his address. You know, and so again, since they deified everything, this was just in case they missed the God, so they made an altar to the unknown God. And so we see that Paul is using again what we know as as apologetics. You know, and, and apologetics is is the defense and justification of the Christian faith and of the Holy Scriptures. That's that's what it is. Pretty much a defending of the Scriptures, a defending of our Christian faith. Apologetics. Apologetics. It comes from the word apologia, which means the Greek word apologia, which means to reason with. You know, and so he, he's using apologetics, and so again, it's it's the defense and justification of the Christian faith and of the Holy Scriptures. Plus, you know, in addition to the the development of a positive evangelical presentation of the facts given in the Bible. So, in in short words, he's pretty much using the evidence that's that's presented to him. He's presenting to others in order to cause a belief to them, in order to, to spark a belief in them. And so we see that, that, that Paul is finding common ground. That's all he's doing, man. He's getting there and he finds common ground. It's like, all right, you could just imagine Paul, man. The pressure's on. He's, he's, he's got the stage. He's, he's addressing, you know, the, the self-proclaimed, you know, free thinkers, all the self-proclaimed greatest minds, you know. And you would think, man, you would think that he's going to, I don't know, maybe got something up his sleeve, bring up some some huge eloquent whatever argument but no he just takes he, he finds common ground and he uses that to preach jesus and the resurrection you know so he so he finds this this altar to the unknown god he uses it as common ground for open conversation you know and we're gonna see what what, what he's gonna tell him so we see that the paul is describing to them the one true god you know and, and and who he is and we see that that he's trying to move them from their own personal opinions to an understanding of who God is according to what God has re revealed about himself in the Holy Scriptures. So these guys already have, already have this preconceived notion of who God is according to their own philosophies. Again, 
the Epicureans, you know, they believe that, 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 that you're just, hey man, the, the chief good in life is just to pursue pleasure. Maybe gods exist, but if they did, we're, we're too far away from it and there's no way we can relate to them. And, and the Stoics, uh, the, the other guys, you know, they, they believe, you know, they, they deified everything. They believe in many gods. They believe that, that everything was God. And so Paul, as you notice in, in his address, he's preaching Jesus to them. But at the same time, he's addressing each and every one of, of their own personal beliefs. Like, for example, he says, you know, and he has predetermined, he has determined their pre-appointed times. So what is he saying? Hey, man, God is intimately, you know, uh, uh, knowledgeable of you and of your life and what happens in your life. He says things like, he says things that, like verse, verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Right? What do these guys believe? They believe, hey, man, if there is a God, he's too far. We can't know him. You know, there's no way we could, we could come to him. And so Paul's addressing these things, you know, as, as, he, as he's sharing the gospel with them. Now for Paul, again, hey, the pressure's on, man. He's got the greatest minds, you know, and, and, and their eyes just fixed upon him. So the pressure is on, you know, and, and, and yet one thing that, that, that I just, that, that I love about this, you know, is that even though he's speaking to like the most, you know, advanced minds at the time, we see that his message was the same as it always has been, as it always will be, and as it will continue to be. He preaches to them Jesus Christ. He preaches to them forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, you know, his crucifixion and his resurrection, pretty much the gospel message. You know that, that and, and I love this because the gospel message, you know, is something that 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 uh that just penetrates through social class structures. It, pen it penetrates through any cultural barriers. It penetrates through any you know financial you know uh, 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 classifications. Man, you could preach the gospel to you know the CEO of of, of Apple, you know, and to hey man, the guy who panhandles there in that street corner every single day, and and the, and the gospel message is the same to them. Why? Because God's desire is the same for all humanity. What? That, that they would come to know Him, you know, in a personal relationship through what Jesus did on the cross. And so that's what, that's what Paul is teaching them. That's what Paul is preaching to them. Jesus Christ, you know, His, his death, burial, resurrection. You know, and so we see, again, that, that, that He begins to preach to them. He says, hey, Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Verse 32 says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others, and others with them. And so we see now their, their response. Paul gives his address, and we see the response. Now, there were basically two different responses there in the crowd. We see that, that some mocked, you know, but some were open to the message. Two, two basic responses. Now, and I love what it says there in Ecclesiastes 1.9. The, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he writes and he says, That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Right? The same reigns true today. I mean, we go out there, we, we share the gospel. Some will reject our message, even mock it, even mock us for it. But others will be open to it, you know, and even embrace it. I mean, it's not up to us to, to force anyone to believe it. We just present it, you know, but we must present it well. You know, we don't just, it's not, it's not a haphazardly type of, type of a, a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We have the duty of, pre of presenting it, but presenting it well. And yesterday, I was over there with, with, uh, with, with Brian in Norwalk. He's like, hey, bro, man, can you, just, can, you, can, you, can you come and help us out, man? We're going to go evangelize. 
just a little thing, man. He said, if you can, it'd be cool, you know, it would, it would be a great help. I'm like, all right, cool, man. And so I had the whole day planned out anyway, man. I was going to come to, to, to the park over here and just do a little bit of, of evangelism too. So I started off with, with Brian and we just went door to door, man. We went door to door and I'm like, all right, cool, man. I feel like it's a whole witness going door to door, knocking on doors, getting turned down, getting, you know, getting the, 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 the dogs sick down on you. Like, oh man, they let the dogs out. No, what that means, keep walking. Right, but it was cool because we were knocking on doors. Some people were right away like, no, no. They saw us with a little uh, New Testament, Gideon's Bibles. They looked out the window on our, they, they closed the door right away. You know, others, you know, we, we got to them, they listened to, to us. They, they were polite, you know, and they, they listened, but they didn't want anything to do with them. But there was one lady specifically, you know, that we knocked on her door. She had all kinds of crazy Halloween de de decoration in her house. So I thought like, oh man, she's not gonna wanna hear about Jesus, man. She like, you know, loves darkness or something. You know? she's, got, she's got all kinds of crazy stuff still up, you know, like kind of demonic stuff. And so we knock on her door, man, and, 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 uh, and, and, and this lady comes out. She was really polite, you know, we started talking to her, you know, and man, we just, next thing you know, we're, we're, we're leading her to the Lord and, and, and come to find out that her son actually just started going to a Christian church in, in Whittier, you know, and she's like, she's like, yeah, she's like, I was going to a, to a Catholic church. She's like, I, she's like I, I, was, I was set there. I was never going to go anywhere else. But, 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 but my son started going there and he invited me. I went, I like it, because I like it. So she was like, just like right there, she was ready to receive. You know, there was, Brian was telling me of a guy that I guess that he, the guy was cleaning his car and Brian's like, hey man, can you give me one minute just so I can talk, 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 talk to you about Jesus? And the guy's like, no way, no, no, no. He's like, come on, just one minute. He's like, no, 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 no. And, 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 and Brian's like, come on, all right, just 30 seconds. He's like, all right, all right, 30 seconds. And he ended up talking to him for like five minutes. You know, but at the end, he was like, no, 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 man. I don't want that. I don't want that. He was just, as soon as he heard Jesus, he was like, oh, never mind. I came over here and I was just walking around just praying. You know, I was hoping that I would get to talk to somebody. But, you know, I didn't get to talk to anybody. But the Lord just opened the door for me to just pray. And to just pray, to walk around the park. Hey, man, just pray. Pray for people. Pray for the city. Pray for the community. I started looking at all the houses that were around the park. I'm like, I'm praying for every single one of those houses. You know, and, and so I just prayed. You know, but again, we see that, that, that the response is basically the same. You know, nothing has changed. Again, like the writer of Ecclesiastes said, that, 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 nothing, that there is nothing new under the sun. For Paul, man, he gave one of the, I mean, what I consider, you know, one of like the most eloquent presentations of the gospel. And the, and, and the response was the same. Some mocked, but yet others believed and they embraced it. You know, and for us as well, you know, again, it's not our responsibility to convert anybody. It's not our responsibility to, to you know, hey, man, you got to believe this. It just, look, we present the gospel, we present the truth, but we present it well. And then, so it's like us, man, we all have free will and, and, and the person is left with their own, you know, now responsibility to respond in whichever way they want to respond to it. And so we see that, that as a result of his presentation of truth, you know, it says that some men joined him and, and, and even some women, we're told of one woman there, Damaris. But among, among those that are named, we're told that, that Dionysius, the Areopagite, you know, joined him. He believed and he joined Paul there in the, the last few verses of chapter 17. Now, the, the, the Areopagites were a special group of select men who were considered to be, you know, like the intellectual giants of the day. And so interesting that, that Paul, there he is, man, he's giving his address. And, and, and this guy, Dionysius, the Areopagite, meaning one of the intellectual giants, they're, they're, they're in our Areopagus. He believed, man. He believed Paul's message. He believed in the, in the, in the resurrection. And he began to follow Paul. Now, remember that, that at the beginning of our, of our study, at the beginning there in verse 16, remember that at the beginning, Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy, right? Remember I 
say, hey, he's waiting for Paul for Silas and Timothy. It's the, the trio. That's, that's their group. That's the guys that they go, you know, do ministry with. He was waiting for Silas and Timothy so they can all go together into the city. You know, but because he was stirred up, you know, he just went alone. He's like, I got to do something right now. I can't wait. I can't wait for these guys to be here. I, I, I got I to gotta just go out there and do it. You know, now, imagine if Paul would have waited. You know, imagine if Paul would have been like, oh, man, I can't go out there by myself, man. What if I get hurt? What if they threaten me? What if, you know, I got to jam out and, you know, I don't have any help? Or what if, you know, I don't know, whatever reason. Imagine if he would have said, man, I got to wait for, 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 for Timothy and Silas, you know, so they could all go into the city. Man, imagine if you would have waited. You know, maybe he wouldn't have gotten the response from these who believed. That he took advantage of the time. You know, he took advantage of the opportunity. He took advantage of the situation. He, he went right in there. You know, now this is encouraging because, you know, sometimes we, we, we think that we have to wait for the church to put on. Oh, man, well, I'll wait till the, till the church puts on an outreach for me to go evangelize. Or I'll wait till, till we do an event with the church for me to go serve. Or I'll wait till, you know, the church is, I don't know. So it's like a corporate thing. And then I'll go step out. But this is encouraging to me. Because I could think that way too, man. Oh, I'll wait till it's an actual event and we'll go out there, right? Right now I'm saying, no, I'll wait till the Thanksgiving thing. You know, I want to just chill out right now wait till Thanksgiving thing. But, but we see that, 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 that God's work, you know, doesn't stop. You know, and, and, and God could do as much with one person as he, could, as he could have done with these three guys or a whole group, you know, or a whole church. You know, this is encouraging because, you know, again, sometimes we have to, we, we have that mentality. Where we're like, oh man, I, I'll wait for the church. I'll wait for the church to put on some event. Then I'll go, you know, I'll wait for someone else to initiate it. But we can go out, you know, we can go out on our own, you know, and God will still do a work. God will still do a work. We don't have to wait for so-and-so. I'm reminded of a, of a story in the Old Testament right now of, of, of Jonathan and, and his armor bearer. And so we know that, 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 that Jonathan was, was King Saul's son. He was, he was King Saul's son. And, and I believe it's in, in uh, 1 Samuel. Can't quote it off the top of my head. It might be chapter 13. But don't call me on that. But, but anyway, the, the story goes that, 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 that the nation of Israel was kind of camping out because the Philistines, you know, were surrounding them. Now, Saul, being the king of Israel, was supposed to lead these guys in battle. But he was chicken. He was all scared. Oh, man. He says, we don't have enough weapons. The, the Bible tells us that the, the only ones who had weapons were Saul, and, and, were Saul and, his, and his son Jonathan. The rest of the guys didn't have weapons because the guy who makes the weapons was in, was in, was in Philistia. So the other guys didn't have any weapons. And so everyone was there just camping out all scared. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, tells the armor bearer, hey, let, let, let's, let's go up there into the camp of the Philistines because it might be that God wants to do something. And so, and then later on, he, he tells his, his armor bearer, because nothing hinders the Lord from working by many or by few. He had the right idea. He had the right understanding. He had the right, you know, the, 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 the right understanding of God. He recognized, he knew that God can do just as much with one man, with two guys, uh, as he could with the whole army, with the whole nation of Israel. And so they went up there. We see that the Lord gave him a victory. You know, and so this is kind of what Paul is doing, right? He didn't wait for Silas and Timothy. He wanted to. Ideally, he wanted to wait for him. But we see that he didn't. He just went out there and the Lord brought about a victory. And so if, if God, this is all to say this, you know, that if God has put something in your heart, if, if God has stirred you up for something, I mean, go for it. You know, if it's to the Lord, go for it, Right? I mean, I'm super blessed by, 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 by the Friday nights at, at, at Mark and Angela's house. I hey, man, the Lord put it in someone's heart. Do this. You know, I don't care. Whatever. If it's from the church and I'm just do it. And the Lord's blessing it. You know, the Lord's blessing it. And, and, and I just love it because it was, you were obedient to what the Lord put in your heart. And, and, and the Lord is blessing you. You know, and the Lord doesn't need, hey, man, we need, you know, a whole big whole event. No. God will just bless whatever he puts in your heart. If you do it, step out in obedience, God will bless it. 
Same thing what we're doing in Thanksgiving, right? We're just stepping out because the Lord has called us to do it. So if God has put something in your heart, man, go for it. And in chapter 18, I'll read just a few verses. They're, they're in, uh, in chapter 18, it says, After these things, so after, after these things, after what things? After, after the whole address that they're at Athens, after you know, he, he, he addressed the people and, and these guys started following him. It says, After these things, so after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had, had commanded that all the Jews uh, depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. I'll stop right there. And so chapter 18 covers, covers uh, uh, the end of Paul's second missionary journey and the beginning of his, of his third missionary journey. That's, that's uh, the whole of, of, of chapter 18. And so we're told there, oh, so we find Paul now in the city of, of Corinth. He goes from Athens down to Corinth. So he's in Corinth now. And Corinth is, is a major city of the Roman Empire. Um, Corinth was a city with a, with a reputation, you know, with a bad reputation for, for loose living. And especially when it comes to, to sexual immorality. And in and, and the classical Greek, you know, in the classical Greek, they would say, hey, they would, they would say phrases like, to act like a Corinthian And when they would say Hey you're acting like a Corinthian It would mean you know That, 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 you're, that you're practicing fornication Or you're just You're acting very loose Or you're like Hey man sexually You're just wild man You're too crazy You know and they, they would say Also things you know They would, they would say Hey man a, a, a Corinthian companion They would use terms like Corinthian companion To describe you know A prostitute And so we see that, Again kind of like What, what went on in the, in there In the city of Corinth You know At Corinth you know It was, a, it was very popular For its worship of, of of uh, Afro Aphrodite, uh, also known as Venus, the goddess of fertility and sexuality. You know, it was from this city that Paul wrote his letter to the to the Romans. So we have it there as the next book, uh, the book of Romans, and, and his first letter to the Thessalonians, first first Thessalonians. And so it was from Corinth, you know, because Corinth he didn't stay there at Corinth for a year and a half. And it was from Corinth that that he wrote his letter to the Romans and to and to the Thessalonians. Um, again, because he stayed there for a year and a half. And so we're told that as he gets there to Corinth, you know, he meets, he meets a couple. He meets a man and woman by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. Now, this Aquila and Priscilla ended up being, you know, these, these, these influential people there in the, in the first century church. You know, they were the same trade, you know, so Paul stayed with them and worked with them. And so I love that because Paul wasn't a, you know, soft hands uh, type of guy. You know, he was, he, he was a trades guy. You know, he, he was a tent maker. I mean, he knew, he knew how to use a, a hammer and chisel. He knew how to use hand tools. He knew how to get down and dirty. You know, he knew you know what it was like to to, to, to work off the sweat of off the sweat of your eyebrow. You know, he was he was he was a, a worker. You know, he was a tradesman. And so we said we're told that that he found Aquila and Priscilla because they were the same trade. They were all tent makers. They're all tent makers, and so he stayed with them. Now, it's possible that this couple were either already Christians when Paul met them. Or that Paul led them to the Lord as, as he stayed with them. And now they became again very influential people in the early church. It's, it's in the book of Romans. Toward, uh, uh, in the last chapter of the book of Romans. When Paul is giving kind of his like. He's like hey man say hi to this guy. And hey say hi to this guy. Oh and by the way you know. This guy says hello. That, 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 that he writes there in the book of Romans. Romans 16, 3 and 5. And he says this. He says greet, greet Priscilla and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ. In Jesus Christ. Who risked their own necks for my life. 
to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And so we're told, you know, about, about Aquila and Priscilla that, 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 they were, that, that they risked their lives. Paul says, hey, they risked their own necks just for me. You know, so we're told about Aquila and Priscilla that, that, that they helped Paul out. We're going to see later on that, that, that God is going to use him to disciple, you know, the, uh, another believer, another strong believer. And we're also told that there was a church at their house. I think that's awesome, you know, because back then, you know, there wasn't church buildings. There wasn't Catholic chapels. There weren't, you know, a four wall thing where, oh, that's the church. Let's go to the church type of thing. The church met, met at their house, you know, and now this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they had a church meeting at their house. Now, I'm not sure if, if Aquila was, was pastoring it or if he was the one teaching it, but, you know, he could have been. But more than that, he just said, hey, man, here's my house. You have to use it for, for, the, for the things of the Lord. And so we see that there was a church operating out of their house. And so, again, we see that the Lord used their lives, used this couple greatly. They're, they're, they're where they were at. It goes on to say there in verse 4. It says, and Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, so now finally they get there. So when, when, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Man, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And then, then Crispus, verse 8, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, baptized, hearing believed and were baptized. Stop right there. So we're told now that, that Silas and Timothy now arrive at Corinth with Paul. You know, Paul's been waiting for him. He waited for him at Athens. They, weren't, they didn't get there on time, but, but they, they're finally there. And so all of them are, are, are there at Corinth with Paul. And, and, and their ministry in the synagogues continues. Remember, it was Paul's custom that whenever he would enter a city, first thing he would do, he would go to the synagogue, preach to the Jews. That was his custom, man. He, 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 he was a Jew himself, you know, a very hardcore Jew before he, before he became a Christian. So his heart was for the Jews, man. His heart was for his countrymen. So as his custom was, they went straight to the synagogue as soon as uh, Silas and Timothy got there. Now, again, that was his custom, you know, but, but, but when they rejected and blasphemed Jesus, you know, he took his message to another audience, the Gentiles. Now, so we're told, you know, that, that, that Paul goes into the synagogue, he preaches Jesus, and they blaspheme. Now, what does that mean? You know, now, that word blaspheme, you know, is, 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 a, is, is a derogatory, you know, type, type, of, type of word. And, and, and it means that, that, that they were speaking not just negatively, you know, but, but, but in a blasphemous way or in, in, a, in, a, in a corruptive way, you know, against Jesus. Probably saying things that, oh, well, of course, I don't want to say it because then I'd be a blasphemer. You know, pretty, pretty much saying, saying, saying you know, uh, evil things about Jesus. You know, whatever that, that means, I mean, you could, you could fill in the blank. You know, maybe we could talk about it afterwards. But, but, but we see that as, as they were blaspheming Jesus and rejecting his message, he took his message to another audience, which are the Gentiles. And again, now the Gentiles describe a group of people who were non-Jews, pretty much everyone else besides the Jews, which is us. I always here considered Gentiles in their eyes because we're not Jews, right? It just means everyone else. So he took his message to, to everyone else. Now, we're told there that as he took his message to the other audience, that there were people who believed. You know, and now amongst those who believe, we're told about this guy Justice, we're told about Crispus and his household, and we're told about many Corinthians. 
And now we're told here of two men by name who believed, you know, one of them being justice. And interesting because later on, Paul was in prison. While he was in prison in Rome, you know, he, he actually wrote to the church at, at Colossae. It's, just, it's a, the, the book of Colossians. He wrote to the, to, to the, to the church there at Colossae. And he tells them this there in Colossians 4, 10 and 11. He says, he's kind of doing his, his greeting, his, fel, his, his farewell stuff again. And he says, Aristarchus, you know, Mark, Justice, my fellow prisoners, greet you. So meaning that, 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 that Justice was, was busted with, with Paul when he was there at Rome. He was, he was up uh, along with Mark and Aristarchus. Aristarchus. And so he says, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, my fellow, my fellow prisoners, greet you. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, meaning who are Jews. Says they've been comforting to me. Awesome. Now we don't know if, if, if this is the same justice, but it's believed that, 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 that it is. It, it's, very, it's very probable that this is the same guy, justice, who just believed on Jesus because of Paul's message. He ends up being, you know, this, this faithful companion to the Apostle Paul as Paul's there busted in Rome. Justice is busted with them, obviously, for, for, for doing the same work, for preaching the same message. They're all right there facing death. You know, and Paul says of justice and, and of Mark and of, and of this other guy, he says, hey man, they're my, they're my only fellow workers left who are, who are Jews. And not only that, but hey man, they've been so comforting to me. It's been so awesome having these guys by my side, you know, knowing that I'm facing death, knowing that I'm facing all these trials, knowing that, you know, that, that, that I'm facing persecution for my beliefs. It's been so comforting having these guys right next to me, knowing that, hey man, we're all going through the same thing. We're all fighting the same battle. You know, and it was this justice who got saved right here in, uh, in, in chapter 18. Now, verse 9 says, there in 19, it says, verse 9 says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And so he continued there a year and six months, a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. Stop right there, Notice what the Lord tells Paul. He says, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not... I have to repeat that to myself all the time. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. You know, I believe that the Lord has gifted me with the gift of evangelism, and, and, and I recognize it. I know it's not of me, because if you would have known me a few years back, I mean, I'm like terrified of public speaking. I could have never gone up here before a crowd and said anything. Probably would have came up here and started stuttering like a, stuttering like a, like a you know, weirdo and not even be able to, to say a full sentence. I, wouldn't, I would have never been able to just approach a stranger on the street or knock on the door and say, hey man, Jesus loves you. Something as simple as that. It just wasn't in me. I wasn't born with that. I wasn't born with that gift. I know that this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, people trip out when I, when I say that. That's something that I still get fearful. We're out there evangelizing. We're having an event. I'm about to go talk to somebody and all of a sudden, man, I feel like my whole body gets warm and my heart tenses up and my chest kind of and I feel like I can't breathe I'm like oh man I start praying Lord Lord help me Lord fill me with the Holy Spirit Lord baptize me with the Holy Spirit you know and, and, and it brings me comfort to know that, that, that Jesus spoke to Paul and he said to him again do not be afraid but speak and do not keep silent now there's only one reason there's only one reason why, why God would have to speak to Paul and tell him to not be afraid because he was afraid <laughs> this guy was afraid man the Apostle Paul, you know, the great Apostle Paul, the guy who had been thrown in jail, being for his faith, you know, uh, reached thousands, you know, spoken, just spoken to the most eloquent crowd there at Athens, you know, spoken to, 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 to all kinds of people from different backgrounds. The Apostle Paul, 
man was afraid. Whoa. You know, and so God had to, had to speak to him by night and tell him, hey, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Meaning that he was so fearful that it was this, this, this sort of crippling fear that came into him, you know, that, that, that was keeping him from speaking. So he was in his head probably thinking, man, there's no way I could, I could do that tomorrow. There's no way I could go out there. I'm scared. I'm fearful. There's no way I could, I, I could speak to those guys. He was probably scared for his life because the Lord also told, also told him, for, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. Maybe he was scared of his life, for his life. Maybe he thought he was going to die at that moment. You know, whatever was going on through his head. You know, the Lord told him, for I have many people in this city. That's so comforting. Man, that's so comforting. All right, I was telling you guys about the, on Friday night, about the guy who, who I met outside of Little Caesars. And I was so happy because I'm like, oh man, this guy's another Christian. Right, it always brings me comfort to know that, that God has many people in, the, in his city. Right, whatever city it is. Whenever I meet another Christian, I'm always super encouraged. You're a Christian too? Ah, oh, sick, man. You're a believer too? Ah, oh, man. You study the Bible too? Yeah, man. You go to church? Cool, man. I always get so encouraged when I meet another believer. Right? And, and so, so God is encouraging Paul and telling him, Hey, look, do not be afraid. I'm with you. No one's going to hurt you. And more than that, I have many people in this city. So encouraging. Now, Paul was a man committed to the work of the ministry, you know, but he was still just a man. Doesn't mean he was a superhuman. Doesn't mean he was a super sane, super faith guy. He was just, he was still man. You know, I, I heard it said, I heard it say, you know, a, 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 a man at best is at best still just a man. He's just a man, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, yes. Used by God mightily, yes. But he's still just a man. And so, what was God's solution to Paul's fears? He says, hey, I'm with you. That was God's solution to Paul's fears. Letting him know that, hey, I'm with you. You know, now fear will come. It will. Fear will come, but we must not let it rule over us. Right? Fear is natural. Yes, natural in this, in this, in this human body. Fear is natural in our, in, our, in our fallen state. Fear is natural, right? Fear comes out of, you know, the, out of uncertainty. Fear comes out of, out of the unknown. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. So it causes this, this discomfort in us that, that turns into fear. Fear, fear is natural for us, you know, and it will come. It will. You, you could expect it, but we must not let it rule over us. That's the difference. Now, God's remedy for fear is for us to be reminded that God himself is with us, you know, that he will fight for us. That's, that's what he told the Apostle Paul. Hey, I'm with you. Notice that he didn't say, all right, Paul, look, Paul, don't be fearful. Look, I'm going to work all this out. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to just minister to those guys. I'm going to get them out of the way for you. No, no, he didn't say all that. He said, I'm with you. God's presence brought this assuring comfort in Paul's life. Going, hey man, God's with me. Right? Now, don't be discouraged. If, if you get a little fearful in the ministry, if you get a little fearful in whatever it is that God has called you to do, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because, I mean, faith wouldn't be faith if there wasn't a little element of fear to it. You know, faith wouldn't be faith if there wasn't an element of doubt to it. If, if there wasn't any element of doubt, if there wasn't any element of faith, I mean of fear, then it wouldn't be faith. Right? It would just be straight up obedience, blind obedience. But, but faith is faith because it has that element of the unknown, that element of, the, of just, hey man, something can happen. Something cannot happen. So don't be discouraged if you get a little fearful you're in the ministry or, or whatever God has called you to do. It's all right. It'll come. But, but, but don't let that fear settle in your hearts. All right? It tells there in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes and he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So we see that, that, that whenever fear comes into our lives, it's not of the Lord. Fear is not of God. You know, for us to be 
to be Bible-believing Christians, to be uh, identified, you know, with God as, as his sons, as his daughters, and to be, and to let, have fear rule, rule over our lives, rule over our hearts, rule over our thoughts, our minds, our emotions, our lives, it's, it's not biblical, right? And now, I've heard this, you know, hey man, the, the opposite of fear is faith, you know, the opposite of fear is faith, but that's not true. Biblically speaking, the opposite of fear is love. We're told there in First John that, 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 that there is no fear in love, but that perfect love casts out all fear. And so the antidote, the antidote to, to fear in our lives is to, is to be firmly established in the love of God. Knowing that, hey man, God loves me and whatever happens to me, whatever comes in my life, is first going to pass through that filter of God's love and then it's going to reach me. You know, that's, that's the antidote to fear. And, and fear, fear, fear will come. I mean, I've experienced a crippling fear before. A couple of years ago, I think it was 2017, that, that uh, I went with a couple guys from, from Downey and from Norwalk, went to Detroit to go share Jesus. And we went to like the, the most dangerous parts of Detroit where the cops even, even pulled us over and said, hey man, I can't believe you guys are walking over here. You can't be walking out here in the daytime. It's dangerous. And they're like, we, we, don't, even, we don't even patrol here in the daytime. Because that's how crazy it is, man. Cops are getting shot at in broad daylight. And they stopped us and said, look, man, we, 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 we advise you guys to just go back home, man. You know, go, go, just go, go on the other side of the eight mile. You know, don't, don't come over here. Don't come over here in the daytime. Don't come over here at nighttime. Just, just stay on your side. And we told them, hey, man, the Lord sent us over here to, to share Jesus with the people. Like, all right, man, we warned you guys. You know, I think the response time, for how, 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 it was like eight minutes or something like that. You know, when you call the cops, they actually show up. It was like something crazy where like, and you're pretty much better off just defending yourself because the cops aren't going to show up, you know, because they're so short-staffed and because there's so much going on there. And so I remember one of the days when we were there in Detroit, you know, God was doing an awesome work. You know, I recognized that he was using me, you know, like, like in, in, a, in, a, in a powerful way too, along with the other groups. But one day, there was just this one street. There was this one street that we were about to go down. And as we were right there pressing the light about across the street to go just down this one, this one uh, 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 neighborhood, this one street. You know, this car, this car just stopped. It was a green light. This car just stopped right in front of us. He just stared us down like with the most like demonic, just evil, just, uh, just like, like weird stare. He stared us down. I'm all happy. And he's looking at us. And, and he, no, no lie, he stopped for like two minutes and just stared us down. Cars are zooming by, there's a green light, but he stopped it and he's looking at us. Like, it was just so demonic, you know, just so, man, I felt, I felt like oppressed spiritually. And as we're walking down the street, man, I, I was so fearful that I thought I was going to die. I, I, I literally thought in my head that I wasn't going to make it to the end of the street. I started praying, I started just, you know, I started texting my hey, mom, love you, this and that. I didn't say anything, but I really thought I was going to lose my life on that street. I didn't think I was going to make it to the end of the street. And, 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 and we, as we started walking, we got maybe like three houses down, and I couldn't go anymore. I felt like crippled by fear. And so I grabbed Brian. I'm like, hey, bro, I'm scared, man. I'm, I'm scared, man. Pray for me. I'm, I'm really scared, bro. I, I, think, I don't think I could do it. He's like, all right, man, let's regroup. And he said, I remember he asked, there was like probably eight of us. And he's like, hey, uh, is anyone else fearful right now? And I was like, yeah, man, yeah, me too, me too. Yeah, man, I was thinking the same thing, man. I don't know what's going on. I feel this heaviness, and everyone experienced the same thing. We know, we recognize now that it was... Uh, spiritual warfare you know and, and we recognize that it was you know it was like the demonic oppression you know we know that, that that the enemy of our souls that satan did not want us to walk down that street because we knocked on every single one of those doors and shared jesus with them and so we know that that, that whenever we step out to share about jesus wherever it's at whether it's in detroit whether it's in city terrace whether it's you know in, in, in norwalk whether wherever it is we know that that that, that satan does not want you to do that whether it's at your workplace whether it's even with your family 
we know that that that, that Satan is going to directly oppose you know any and and any 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 desire you have to share Jesus with anybody. And so that was that's what was going on over there. You know, that we're experiencing just this crippling fear. And 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 as we're praying, as Brian was praying for us, he's like, "Hey, man, I'm fearful too, man, but I'll pray." You know, and he prayed for us. You know, and, and and as we're praying, man, we were just. It wasn't even like, "Oh, God, help us," type of thing. It was more. I remember that prayer. We were praying, and we were just recognizing. We were like reminding ourselves that God is with us, Lord. We we know that you're with us right now, Lord. We know that you called us, Lord. We know that that that, that you know that your word says, you know, Isaiah twenty six three. You know that that if we, if we fix our eyes on you, that you will keep us in perfect peace because our mind is there we started just kind of reminding ourselves of who god is in our lives and of his presence with us and all of a sudden we're like all right man let's go and i kid you not it's like as the end of the prayer like as we're praying i just felt it lifted off of me man i was like oh man let's go man and we're just going hardcore for jesus you know now there's something that that, that, that paul was experiencing right this crippling fear now it, it's real man it's very real spiritual oppression demonic oppression it's real right this crippling fear the enemy will use would love to use fear in your life to keep you from pursuing the things that God has called you to do, right? Like that, that could fall into your sphere of, 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 of life, you know, however way you want to apply that, you know, but the enemy will use fear, specifically a crippling fear, to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Again, 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, you know, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And I want to encourage you guys with that because remember, at the beginning of the study, I mean, at the beginning of the study of number 16, you know, Paul, he wanted to wait for, for Silas and Timothy. You know, I don't know if he was fearful or not, but he wanted to wait for these guys in order to step out. He ended up stepping out first on his own. You know, then later on, they, they came when they, when they were in Corinth. You know, so we see that, 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 that lack of resources, the lack of, you know, maybe support didn't keep the Apostle Paul from stepping out. It shouldn't keep us from, from stepping out. Then also this fear, man. Fear. Whenever there is there's fear involved, you know we know that that is not of God. And and, and I think I'll stop right there. I was going to go further, but but I, I think we'll stop right there. I think it's a good note to, to end on. You know that, that that whenever fear is involved, you know we know that that's not of the Lord. The fear itself is not of the Lord. You know why? Because the Bible tells us right there that, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And, and I believe that the Lord may wants to minister that to us this morning. You know, and focusing on that and end with that. That if you're feeling fearful and something that God has called you to do, whether it's a job or if it's a ministry, whether it's whatever it may be, you know, you you apply it to your own life. If there's fear involved, you know, remember that 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 there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. That God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of, and of a sound mind. We're gonna see later on in the rest of the chapter, you know, that, that as Paul receives his vision from the Lord, he hears God telling tell this, you know, he's he, what's the result of that? Hey man, he ends up staying there another year and a half. It's like, if he would have given to that fear, he probably would have left the next day. Right? Oh man, I can't stay here. Something's going to happen to me. I got to leave. But, but, but because he was assured of, of, of God's presence with him, you know, he was able, it produced in him this perseverance. And he stayed there another year and a half just laboring away. And if he wouldn't have stayed there that, that year and a half, we wouldn't have uh, the books of First and Second Corinthians, which are... You know, in the, in the book of Second Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians describe to us God's perfect love. We have that that chapter, chapter thirteen of First Corinthians, describing perfect love. We wouldn't have that that awesome chapter of God's love. We wouldn't have all the descriptions of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that that are that are number for us there in First Corinthians eleven and twelve. You know, and man, that's like where most of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are defined. And it's like we wouldn't have all these things. You know, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. 
if Paul wouldn't have stayed there. You know, but, and so we see again, looking, looking on, on the long run, man, it's worth it. You know, just remind yourself, you know, that, hey, that God is with us. He's not called us, you know, to, to, to be fearful. You know, and let, let God's presence just overtake that fear, overtake that anxiety, overtake whatever it is that's hindering you. Amen? Amen. I'm sorry, right there.